Yo, it's your man JD, Jody Diamond from G2 Podcast, streaming on That's Your Man Podcast. What up? What's good with you? Shout out to all my Germany peoples. Keep sending that love, showing that love. I appreciate it. Shout out to everybody that's fucking with us on iHeartRadio. Appreciate you. And um, just for everybody that fuck with G2. You know what I'm saying? You know, just doing my thing. Shout out to my brother Black. Uh, this is birthday month, so you know. It's rough, but we're gonna get through it. As we always do. So uh I'm doing a series of shows. These shows will be probably broken up into about two or three shows. We'll see how the time allots. Y'all see I'm getting better with this shit. And it's going to be my tribute to 50 years of hip-hop. My contribution, you know, my brother Black's contribution, you know, our Gemini twin contribution to this thing called hip-hop for 50 years, um, which, you know, we were blessed to be participants in um and i still continue to participate on and you know um so there's gonna be a couple stories i'm gonna give some backgrounds i'm gonna shed some light on some shit historically and you know all kinds of shit you're gonna get all kinds of little tidbits all kinds of little morsels with this bitch so let's get into it all right so um i've told stories before you can go back check my my stories, they start off with G2 Podcast. Uh, those are my stories uh, specifically outside of That's Your Man Podcast with my other two homies. Shout out to Miz, shout out to AR. So, Black and I, when we were really young, I think we were like, we were in an art class in like 11th grade or some crazy shit. We had this art teacher. I'm not going to say her name because we ain't like her. We ain't like her at all, actually. But, she asked us a very fundamental question and it resonated with us. She asked us, what are you guys going to do when you graduate? So we knew we both were artistic, but you know, you never really, you never, you never really think about it till you hit like 11, 12th grade. Like you don't really think about like, you like, damn, you know, I'm about to graduate. Like it ain't no joke no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how it kind of hit you. Well, that's how it hit us. Uh, let me let me rephrase that. So it hit us like that. It smacked us. And I think it's like a lot of people that's about to graduate or close to graduation. You really start thinking, like, how am I going to provide for myself? Like, what am I going to do? Um, do you think it all the way through? Hmm, most time you don't because you're still like 16, 17, 18 years old. But we started to kind of ponder it and she was one of the ones who really kind of came at us direct and asked us directly um, because I guess she saw the potential in the artwork that my brother did. My brother was like phenomenal with the artwork. So I think we went home and we really started kind of like pondering it. You know, our parents had said it to us, of course, our father, our mother, uh, family members, of course. And, you know, everybody was like, I need to do that art thing. Yeah, you know how that go. Uh, so we were trying to make it make sense. 
like really make it make sense and really trying to figure out how we're going to make this work and what direction we were going to go in with this shit. Then, you know, you, you're young, you got other shit going on in your head. So we, we really started to kind of try to evaluate what we're going to do. So I was like, yo, Black, what are, let's, what are some of the things that we like to do? Won't we incorporate that into what we want to what we want to do with our life? So we really sat down and thought about it, like hard. So, of course, it was art. Boom. But we know, you know, you're not going to really make a lot of money starting off doing art unless you just, you come off with something hot. But we know everybody understands the struggling artist concept. Like, well, we did. We, we understood it very early. So we know that's just got to be something that we kind of put on. We keep it as a leisure thing, but not our main, main thing. So we really kept thinking about it. So we was like, you know, we... We like going out to the clubs. We love going to clubs, bars, different little little venues, shit like that. Um, we love food. Uh, my brother and I were huge foodies, huge foodies, huge. Before it was even a thing. Um, and you know, we like sports and, and, and interacting and shit like that. And <laughs> we like go-go bars and shit. So. You know, we started thinking like, why don't we open up a bar or a club or, you know, or a sports bar or some shit or, you know, something like that. So we was thinking about different things. So he's like, then I guess we want to be entrepreneurs. We talked to, matter of fact, after we kind of figured out like that's the route we wanted to go, we talked to our dad. He was like, y'all want to be entrepreneurs. That's exactly how that went. So because we didn't we didn't really put a term to it. You know what I mean? So. Once he said it, it made complete sense, like a whole lot of sense. And we was like, well, we know we want to own some shit and we want to run it. We didn't know exactly what we wanted to have specifically per se, but you know, but it was, we wanted to be entrepreneurs. That was the thing. So we started working toward the nightlife. Uh, my brother started bar backing. Um, I started working as a clerk for a liquor store down AC, right? So, and then, of course, we start hitting the nightclubs hard. Like, we was hitting it, we was hitting it fairly decently in our teenage years. And um, when I was a youngster in high school, I couldn't miss a party, even in middle school. It got to the point where, like, by the time I hit ninth grade, if it was a party, I couldn't miss that party. I don't care if I got grounded by my mom for going out or whatever, I had to be, I don't know what it was with me at that point in my life. It was like an obsession and shit. But I had to be at them parties. Like I had, to, I had to have my face seen at them parties. Um, sneaking out the house, me and Black still in my mom's car, like all kinds of crazy shit. When we was young, but I had to be at them parties. So of course, getting older, we go to teen clubs, then we flip into the adult clubs. You know, we still wasn't even legal enough to get in the adult clubs by law, but we were so tall, and you know, we had all this. You know, we looked older. My brother had a full beard and shit. By the time he's like 11th grade, this motherfucker. You know, I was tall as shit. I had a little goatee and stuff, and you know, we kind of carried ourselves with a certain type of, you know what I mean. So you know, we can get into the we can get into the bars and shit, and club stuff. So we started hitting them real hard. So every state we was in, because our mom moved around a lot, we started hitting a lot of different Jones: the Alabama, Florida, Georgia. He's hitting them Jones. Come back up here now. We in Jersey. We in fucking Philly, New York. Uh, my brother and I used to hang out down this spot in New York called Co-op City. It's where a lot of international people used to come. A lot of Africans. 
But it was a lot of international people would come and they would have residency at this um this little spot. I don't even think the spot's there no more. But we used to hang out down there tough. I hung out down there real tough. Um, of course, we hung out in Manhattan. Well, I hung out in Co-op City. I think he hung out down Manhattan and maybe Soho. But I don't know specifically because sometimes he went and did his own shit with his own peoples. I hung with my peoples. Shit like that. But whenever me and him chilled out, we chilled out down Manhattan. Um, as I said before, my other joints, back at that time in the 80s and 90s, well, 90s per se, early 90s, jokers wanted to be... Atlantic City niggas want to be New York niggas. That's just what it is. Anybody tell you anything different, they lying. Uh, I was one of them rare dudes where I wanted to be more so like a Philly dude. Like, I just, I love the whole Philly vibe. You know, I was hanging around Philly. I was hanging around a couple dudes in Philly. Um, it was just, it to me, it just seemed like it was just a better option. I don't know. Like, I like hanging in New York, but Philly was just something different for me. Philly, it just seemed like it just connected for me you know what I mean um, so at this time in AC early 90s like I said I'm working at a bar um, at a liquor store and then I'm hanging at the club so we can drink <laughs> the owner would let us drink all the beer we wanted like he didn't give a fuck about the beer and with the liquor he just made my man DJ shout out to DJ um, he made him. He was the manager. He made the, he he more, he made sure that he listed what we drunk if it was um, hard alcohol, hard liquor. But the beer, he didn't give a fuck. Like we could take four of these, fucking six packs. He didn't give a fuck about that. Um, and that shows you, like, as I've been doing this this nightlife thing, the beer, the liquor ratio, as far as how much money come back off of them Jones is crazy, crazy as hell. But um, that was my first intro into that. That's like, what, 93, I think. Yeah, 93. So, but what we used to do, we used to, we got known on on the on the Lang, on Lang Avenue. We got known. It was me, DJ, our boy Red. His name is Isaac. Shout out to Isaac. Um, and Juan. Uh, yeah, Juan, big Juan. But we called him something else. I can't remember. That was DJ's boy. But it was us, like we was the little liquor crew on Lang Avenue. And I think at the time we might have been the only liquor store on the Lang Avenue that far down toward the inlet. And I think it was another one further down, but we was like right in the middle of between, I think like, uh, shit, what street is that? God damn it. We were in between the casinos, most of the casinos, most of the major casinos, and right before you got to the inlet. So we was that little spot. Like, as soon as you get off Transportation Center, boom, shoot down to your left, a couple little stores and all of that, and then we was right there on the end before you got into the inlet. And then if you went to the right from Transportation Center, you go down, you hit a couple casinos, a couple more casinos, and now you're going into, like, the residential area toward the Atlantic City High School, all of that. So we was placed strategically right in the middle of that joint, and it was really, it was really dope. Like we got so much traffic, and we got to be known just for being them balls at the liquor store, right? So, but our thing was after we left the liquor store on the weekends, we go to the clubs. Like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we was at the clubs. It was just crazy. So we's pre-tripping after work. We took an hour to pre-trip, and then we would hit the goddamn. We get something to eat. Then we hit the fucking bars and the, and the clubs and shit like City. And back then, it was a whole bunch of shit to do. Like, it was a ton of shit to do. 
because you always had the boardwalk. Like you could just walk up and down the fucking boardwalk and get it. Um, but that was the that was the nineties, early nineties, back then in AC. Uh, and actually, Alang City, I think, in a certain point, I think maybe ninety six, it got voted the most dangerous city in the United States one year because of all the robberies that was going on down on Boardwalk. So I think soon as the the casinos went 24-hour gaming, and at, at one point they would have to shut down at a certain time, stay closed for a couple of hours, tally up, and then they would open back up in the morning. That was the ebb and flow of the casinos. The only casino that really didn't have that, I think, in the United States was Las Vegas. But AC had to shut down. But then when AC got that 24-hour gaming, that was it. Like, game was over. Now, since you got the casinos open 24 hours, all the other little stores apply for their joints and through the city ordinance to get their little 24-hour on or at least stay open to a certain, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. Yada, yada, yada. Boom, boom, boom. But now you're talking more activity, way more activity, more shit going on on the streets, on the boardwalk, all of that. And it went down. Like Jokers was hitting them, hitting them jackpots and walking out the, the casino. And it used to be these these young bulls. They was called the um, kids of the boardwalk, and they stayed literally underneath the boardwalk. So first of all, it was, it was two sets of people. It was people who actually lived underneath the boardwalk, lived on the beach, and then it was kids underneath the boardwalk. So these kids was the kids that was going. They was going to rob you. Like, soon as they seen you walk out with the money or the bucket or, or whatever, if you're too stupid enough to be flashing your shit like that, they rob you. And it got so bad where AC got voted the the um, worst city uh, in the United States. It was just for one year. But just for the city to be that small and for the crime to jump that fast, it was crazy. It was real crazy. So um not going to get too deep into that because there's a lot of kids, like, we was real young and we was out there and... And, you know, a lot of jokers was trying to survive. Like, you saw all... In the 90s, you saw all kinds of shit on the boardwalk. Like, shit that you, you'd be like, yeah, damn. But, but jokers was really going through it. Like, jokers was really hungry. They was really in need. You know what I mean? So, so that was the 90s. Like I said, for, for us, it was just a lot going on around that time. And, um, of course, with hip-hop. Hip-hop comes through. And now it's just like this wave. It's this huge wave. And all this energy, this new energy, and it's excitable. And it just seems like it's opportunity for us and our culture that we're, we're manifesting. And everybody's trying to get in on it. You know what I'm saying? So, really, I'm trying to think of which way I can go with this story, these stories. So, there's a couple stories that I'm going to tell in reference to it. Um, of course, everybody wanted to pick a lane. Uh, either you was going to rap, DJ, uh, you dance, sing. Um, but those were the, or a promoter or something, like those were the main lane. Producer, like those were the main lanes for, for this hip hop shit. Um, so everybody tried their hand at certain little shit. I tried my hand at the rapping thing. Like, you know, I got books of, of rhymes and songs and, and, and hooks and choruses and, and samples that I want to use and inserts and all that shit from like 90 fucking three till. But I've only made two demos and I never published anything. 
I went out with my man. Shout out to my boy, Mari. Uh, he was the only dude I knew who had an MP60 at the time. He used to let me use his MP60. It's so crazy. Like we would, we would do beats in his apartment. He would have his shit jacked up to like the highest volume level. His girl and his two kids, I mean infant kids, would be in there. It'd be like two o'clock in the morning, and he'd be like, he was a barber, so he used to be like, yo, come by, you know, uh, after after the bar, and we're gonna we're gonna lay down a track, and yada yada yada, and we gonna shoot up to New York and go and drop off the demo. So the thing back in the day was, you had to shoot up to New York. And you drop your demo off at these record companies, right? That was the thing. You had to put your own work in. You had to do it. You had to do it yourself. You could pass it off to somebody, like when they came down to the convention centers and shit on the boardwalk, boardwalk hall. But that ain't guaranteed. And then we start seeing other rappers like really pushing their shit, getting in people's faces, letting them see you, see your style. You know, tape the hand. You know, pass off and, and shake their hand, give them a pound, and be like, "Yo, man, listen to this shit." Like. Jokers kind of started getting on that that gorilla grungy shit. So we kind of started thinking like we gonna start doing that too, right? So my man was the producer and he rapped a little bit, but he had the equipment. He was fucking fire too, I'm not gonna lie. So but the situation was crazy. So we go over. There. I'm thinking he got a whole room set up, his little wifey and the kids is going or whatever. He don't give a fuck. He got this in the living room, jammed. I mean he makes she keep coming out. I'm looking around like, yo, man, like it's like almost two o'clock in the morning, dog. He's like, fuck that shit out. Let's do this shit. Boom, boom, boom. And just, I mean, walls rattling. I was like, what the fuck? So his girl come out. She's standing in the hallway. She don't say nothing the first time. She's just looking at us. And I'm looking at her. And I just like throw my hands. I'm like, yo, you know, man, you know what I'm saying? And she just go back in. Boom, 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 boom. Yo, man, drop that shit. I drop that shit. I was like, yo, Imani, come on, man. Like, Imari, don't do that. He's like, man, fuck this my career. I'm telling you, go ahead, do it, do it. I was like, and I got my rhymes written out. And I'm like, I can't, I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> so then you hear the baby crying. That's the only time he stopped it. He stopped it. She came out. She's like, yo, like, what the fuck? He's like, bitch, you know what the fuck I'm doing? Shut them babies up. To, I don't want to hear that shit in my goddamn recording. Let's go. Do that shit, dog. I was like, oh, my God. So I'm rapping, but I'm not rapping my full yeah, I mean. You know what I'm saying? I'm almost whispering. And this shit just sounded stupid to me. Like, it sounded dumb. I ain't had my whole heart into the shit. He went the fuck off on his shit, right? So he didn't give a fuck. Because he had a small verse. I had the bigger verse because I was the rapper. So we laid down like two tracks for a little EP type of joint. And he's like, that's what's up. That's what's up. He said, this shit's smoking in my hand right now, son. I was like, yo. I was like, man, when we going to um, drop that shit off in New York? He's like, right the fuck now. I was like, what? He got the keys, threw on his fucking bubble goose. I threw on my fucking leather jacket. We went downstairs, jumped in his car. <laughs> his girl's like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to New York. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he closed the door. Wow. We jumped in the car hard as we drove to New York that night. Like that night. Y'all think I'm bullshit. That night. So we went to, I think by the time we got there, it was like going on like five. So we hung out. We got something to eat. Got something to drink. We was just chilling. And we waited till like, I think it was like seven. And we hit Rockers Records. 
excuse me, and we had another record company. I can't remember the name of the John. It might have been Rowdy or something. I don't I don't remember. I remember Rockus, but we hit a couple of them jaws. We hit as many as we could hit till 10 o'clock. And then we started getting tired. And we were just we in the we in the um, studio, the ones who would let us up into the into the office, to the to the front desk and shit. And they already knew most of them had like a box sitting right on top of the desk with the receptionist. And we like, yo, we want to talk to the A&R. We want in. And they's like, what y'all, you know, well, you know, it's like, we're a group up. Oh, put your demo right here. And we was like, God damn, like they already knew. Like, wow, we can't talk to nobody. No, there's nobody here for you to talk to. There's no A&R here today. So I don't think we talked to any A&Rs, but we dropped off our tapes to uh, every record company that we got, we were able to get into, which was like maybe about three. Um, he wanted to stay longer. Like, he didn't give a fuck. I was like, yo, man, I'm tired. We got a long two-hour ride to get back. Like, yo, man, let's just start getting back. Let's start heading back to AC. He's like, all right, man, all right, dog, all right. So we we did that shit. So I can honestly say that was my my first time doing that. And um, it was dope. Like, it was dope just to the energy off of trying to make some shit happen. Um did anything come from it? Absolutely not. But we we put the effort out. You know what I'm saying? We even though it was rushed and it was real young and real, you know, unprofessional and all that. Um, it wasn't definitely definitely wasn't studio polished at all. Um but we we put out we put out effort to, to try and do that. And what I will say is after we did that route, we, we went that route, we started going a local route. And now this is going to go into part two of my story, um, which I'm going to probably stop this in a minute and then reset it for part two. And But I'm going to set it up now. So what you got to do, you got to be careful of motherfuckers that's in your area from your hood. Well, or they peoples is from your hood, the people that know you and all of that, uh, jerking you, like really, really jerking you. Henceforth, the motherfucker I'm about to talk about now, Rodney Jerkins. So, from I think Dark Child Entertainment, whatever the fuck his fucking label's name, fuck that motherfucker. So, um, what I will do is we're gonna, I'm gonna go into my next segment for part two of my um, tribute to 50 years of hip hop. And I'm going to talk about how Rodney Jerkins, the producer, the famous producer, who is his people's from around all way, jerked a lot of motherfuckers back in the, in the early 90s, mid 90s, like on some real strong arm, dirty shit. You know what I mean? So I can I can speak from my perspective in that because I was involved in that directly from from an aspect um, of my interaction. With this, with this motherfucker and his peoples. You know what I'm saying? So, we gonna get into that. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. Stay tuned. Part two is coming up next.